0: And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, as always, here on uh, this program where we uh, come your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We do stream live at those times, and um, we also have a podcast, a podcast uh, as well as the link to listen live when the broadcasts are on at those three times. The podcasts are um, available through SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, many other locations. We are also grateful to those who have uh, uh, extended our reach by uh, reposting some of our interviews uh, to other locations around the Internet. And uh, also we have a link to our guest website and uh, information that you might want to look into. And we certainly hope that you will uh, do just that we are here to uh, help you support you encourage you that's what our guests are all about to give you new ideas new paradigms if you will again for the new uh, for a new world uh if you like what we're doing please uh if you can support us we have a paypal and patreon account for your security as well as mine and we encourage you if you can to support us financially and uh, we thank you thank you thank you for your support and if you are going to support us Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I I can't say that enough. And if I did, uh, I would sound a little like the uh, early Steve Martin who was thanking each one of his audience members individually. And when you have a stadium of uh, 3,000 people, it's going to take a while. So we won't do that. What we will do is introduce you to our guest, Dr. Uh, John Jensen. And he is um, uh, with us here on the program to talk about... Um, a book that he wrote some time ago. It's been a couple of years since we've had him on the program. And we're grateful to have him back. Uh, Dr. John Jensen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Richard. Uh, First of all, uh, it's great to have you back. It's too bad it's been two years. (laughs) But by the same token, it gives us a lot to talk about, I'm sure, uh, from, from your standpoint. Now, folks, you might wonder... How in the world is our conversation about uh, government and politics and so forth uh, going to help us with the new paradigms for a new world? Uh, well, I would think, John, you probably would agree with me that with what we are going through and have been going through for the last few years, both politically as well as governmentally, that it is showing uh, the, the holes, shall we say, the holes in the dike or dam, if you will, uh, that are growing more and more and more, and there's a flood coming and that brings about change. It may not be the change that you wanted, but it's going to be the change you're going to get. am I am I fair in my assessment in that regard, my observation?
1: Richard, I think that is uh, customary with with a population that feels things are coming apart. In other words, when we're suddenly disoriented, we think something big has got to change and we may overlook, things that we have right at hand that uh, we could be using. Uh, I, I've been working recently on a, um, a piece about that starts with the preambles to the Constitution and if you um, if you read the preamble we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union etc mm-hmm. and they list a half a dozen uh, key values that anybody can respond to. Mm-hmm. And the thing is about values is that they are intentions. They're supposed to guide practical behavior. Hmm. And that's where the, uh, the breakdown has come. We've, we have these wonderful ideals that would actually work in practice, but you have to intend to apply them. And uh, I, I'm in favor of uh, people returning to basics uh, on that score.
0: Well, I will actually throw a couple of things out in that regard, uh, the preamble as well as uh, the uh, Declaration of Independence. I think it's probably both of these are in the preamble, but be that as it may, uh, in the preamble, as you quoted, <clears throat> it talks about, um, you know, again, we'll do the we, uh, and I used to, I had it, me- I've had it memorized for decades. I, we learned it in school because it's not that long. Right. right. You, you know, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice Ensure domestic tranquility, uh, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. If I'm... uh, Excellent. You're you're right on track. All right. And then we have... Let's just take this particular item. It's part of the Constitution, but not really... It's called a First Amendment to the Constitution. It's part of the Bill of Rights, talking about freedom. And, of course, uh, there's also the uh, part of the Declaration of Independence that talks about uh, that we we, um, uh, have these uh, these, uh, 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 inalienable rights. And among them, they only list three, but there are more, apparently, they thought maybe they were a little too verbose in the Constitution, so they cut back on the other listings. But life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, life and liberty apply to that First Amendment in the sense of, you know, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, individuality, individual rights and all of this kind of stuff. And in the midst of what we are living in right now, John. I am perplexed. In that I ask, I ask uh, rhetorically, but I also ask legitimately uh, to those people who are on that side wanting their individual rights. They want to do what they want, when they want, where they want, how they want, for whatever reason. Okay, And declare the First Amendment right to do so. Mm -hmm. I'm not arguing that they don't have the right. My question is, how do you balance that with. To promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves <clears throat> and our posterity. If you do not wear a mask, and I'm now throwing specifics in, if you do not social distance, if you do not stay home, if you do not do some of the things that whether it's the World Health Organization, CDC, your physician, et cetera, et cetera, forget about the government. They don't know what the heck's going on from my perspective. Um where do your first amendment rights end and my right to promote the general welfare and secure the blessings to our posterity and that you know, to me is the juxtaposition right now in this country in particular
1: you know i, I think that uh, we have a really specific question as you as you framed it there about rights and to me it's a subset of a much bigger issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, years ago when I was doing uh, consulting to businesses, etc., um, I ran across a piece that explained where the general overall breakdown is. And they identified it as simply mediocre thinking, that we let each other get by with mediocre thinking. Now, the founders of the, uh, of the country in the in the preamble there try to describe the big picture but the thing about values is and rights etc is that that they require sensitive understanding and you need to know what you're looking at it am I looking at it right here am I looking at well-being am I looking at justice and so there's a, 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 a translation problem as it were from practical circumstances into these values. And we have not been taught that. We have not, not um, undertaken the kind of public um, effort to bring people together, to say, confront them with each other and say, now think this through, is this really a right or what? Uh, I have in mind um, uh, public workshops, community workshops, several different types where people get together for different reasons. they. Uh, communicate about these things. What would it take, for example, for people in a community or in a neighborhood gather and say, we want to apply the idea of America. So we are going to take that preamble apart and examine those values and see how they apply to us and to what we do. Mm -hmm. So in other words, there's an effort required to raise the quality of your thinking before you can even begin to understand how one value impacts another.
0: You know, you raise an interesting Einsteinian phrase that you cannot solve a problem with the same consciousness that created it. And I feel as though that's really kind of what is being stated in what you're saying there, uh, that as long as we stay in that mentality, and I see it even today when I hear Republicans and Democrats on the Hill talking about what are we going to do for the people in this pandemic and so on and so forth. And uh, how do we know which direction to go? What's the right thing to do uh, that's going to do the least harm, uh, that's going to have the most benefit and so forth for the people? I don't see that. I see them fighting amongst each other, grappling for position, trying to get the upper hand, trying to make the other look bad. Uh, Instead of giving one uh, tinker's damn uh, about—by the way, that's a phrase my father used to use— Uh, about you and me, John and Joe and Jill and Frida Citizen. And I've come to the conclusion, uh, John, we're on our own. You and I, <laughs> we are on our own. And Jeez. you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. Right, right. I'm greatly appreciative of the $1,200 that uh, uh, Senior Wentz has sent us uh, back in uh, in March and April. Uh, Very appreciative of the extra six hundred dollars they gave my wife every two weeks or every week for unemployment while she was unemployed. She was actually furloughed. Thank goodness she was furloughed and not laid off. Um, So she's now back to work again and she's doing well. But um, literally, we are living in the pioneer days again. You know, it may not be the prairie and you're living in a sod house with. The wind coming through the sod, you know, and and, uh, your neighbor is 12 miles down the road. Your nearest neighbor is 12 miles down the road. But we really are. And the problem, though, is we have taken on that individual individualistic mentality instead of the communal mentality that says, "Okay, I know that I need toilet paper. Oh, my God. That was just the craziest thing. I know I need this. But. What is this going to do to my fellow citizens in my community if I take fifty-six packs of five hundred roll bundles uh, and I store them in my garage? Right. How is that, you know? And I mean, it's, it's like a, a minute. Menace- there are other options instead of toilet paper, but be that as it may. So this is what's really got me really perplexed, John. And you know that you know this program is about new paradigms for a new world and trying to find those new uh, new ways of living. And since you and I talked, as of December, uh, sorry, September of 2019, I have been declaring 2020 the year of perfect vision. Talking <laughs> about inner vision, not outer, but inner vision. And going within, especially now, and this, I was talking about this even before the pandemic was declared, saying, look, you need to go inside to find that still place, that calm place, peaceful place where you can relax and you can then get, inspiration you can get guidance you can get instruction on maybe your your day you know or or just listen to the words that you feel or hear or see whatever whatever however it comes into you the awareness of of course we haven't been taught to do that whether you use meditation or otherwise we just haven't been taught to do that it's always i'm going to go to john jensen he has all the answers uh because i don't have any And the reality is, I love what uh, Dr. Schrodinger said. And I saw this in a documentary not long ago. He said, uh, basically, um, there's only one mind in the universe. There's only Hmm. one. And we're just all tapped into it. We're all part of that one mind. Uh, It's Hmm. not eight billion. It's one. Hmm. And when you think about that, think about this, John. Here you, you and I are talking. And we may not agree on everything, you know. But by the same token, we are talking. And we're trying to bring up issues and concerns and, and ideas and so forth for people to think about. Now, you have a, a, a book that we initially talked about two years ago, which I found fascinating. I've talked to people about it many times. I've even brought it up about uh, uh, having a more rational government. Tell us the title of that book. Uh, we Need a Movement for Problems to Solve to Restore Rational government. And of course, my first question to you two years ago was, when was the last time we had a rational government? And your answer <laughs> was? <laughs> I believe at that moment <clears throat> when the founders uh, were defining the
1: uh, the preamble to the Constitution, there, there was a rational moment, but uh, quickly uh, de- deteriorated into
0: uh, uh, really conflict and uh, Competitiveness, kind of what we have today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the ink wasn't even dry. <laughs> right. Um, and so we've talked about this. Uh, we we need a we need a movement. Do we have a movement going now? Because I'm seeing some incredible changes. Whether it's dealing with uh, the coronavirus and the pandemic, whether it's dealing with Black Lives Matter, whether it's b- dealing with the Me Too movement. Um, right. It seems to me, and there are those who have been asked the question who are part of those camps, uh, do you think that this is is finally the defining moment? Because we've had many moments before this where a certain incident happens and we think, ah, finally, we'll get the attention that we deserve and so forth, and it doesn't happen. And they're saying now, yes, this is the defining moment. And one of the reasons why, they say, is the combination of, shall we say, these three um, ideologies and or events happening all at the same time, you you're you you are doomed if you ignore it. Right. Uh, <clears throat> I think
1: uh, uh, in understanding a movement that there is a um, deliberate transmission of an idea, there's a deliberateness about it. In other words, not just we're angry and we protest everything, but what idea are we communicating? And I think that's where uh, the, the current effort uh, is vulnerable because if people say, well, we've been mad enough and now we, we're seeing uh, changes in particular state legislatures and, and police are quitting and uh, we're getting convictions, etc." cetera, Okay, we've done it. Now, that would be the end of that uh, particular effort. Uh, and so what idea are we communicating? That then gets people into a state of, I am going to talk to somebody about it. And this has been my, my return to the preamble. We need to actually communicate about these things. And mm-hmm. we have to want to deliver an idea and an application of it. And that's, that's where the movements of the past have really been effective.
0: I was watching a, a little news piece about a podcast that a, a, a black man was producing. It was called um, something along the lines of asking the uncomfortable questions. And that's what he wants to do. He wants people to ask the uncomfortable questions so that he, as a black man, and this has to do with Black Lives Matter, uh, can answer them right. calmly, intelligently, and so forth. And one of his guests asked what would be considered an uncomfortable question But the thing is, is I would ask the same question of someone in the LBGT community uh, and and any of these other groups. What should I call you? Should I call you African-American or should I call you black Uh, or Negro? Uh, And his answer was black, because not all black people are African-Americans. They could be Haitians, Cubans. Um, any other part of the world. I mean, there are some pretty dark-skinned Indians uh, in, from India uh, as mm-hmm. well as other parts of the world. And I thought, wow, okay. And I was interviewing a woman. She was a black woman. And I said, I could make the statement that we have with us today a very beautiful black woman who is da And it turns out I'm half right and I'm half wrong because it turns out the woman's half Indian, Native American, Iroquois. Oh. And she actually put down on one of her forms as she was growing up that she was Indian which and black because that's what she was told she was. She, she checked two boxes, and apparently you can't do that. you got to check one. Yeah. So I but thought... You know that, go ahead. That,
1: that instinct to, uh, to draw people out is so fundamental. Mm-hmm. If we really want to get an idea across to somebody... It helps to know that they want to hear that idea. Well, mm-hmm. how do we find out what idea they're ready to hear? We ask them questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a touching thing happened to me when I was a kid. Uh, my parents were supposed to entertain a distant relative who was reputed to be very cold and aloof and distant. And they were trying to figure out, well, how are we going to handle this? And my father finally said, well, let's just draw him out. Well, they talked well into the night, and afterward. They said what an interesting, fascinating person he was with many interesting experiences. And all they did was they drew him out. They got him talking about his own experiences and ideas, et cetera. And we can do that. I mean,
0: it's not not rocket science. Yeah. It's, to me, fascinating how, pardon me, how um, you use the phrase draw people out, but not to put them in the crosshairs. Right. And yet what we hear in in most of the news uh, on radio and television is just that to bring them out in the crosshairs. And I guess the other the other issue that I want to touch on is this whole aspect of victimhood. It's somebody else's fault. Now, I'm not saying that women haven't been sexually harassed in different places. And I'm not saying that the blacks haven't had the same problem. The minorities, the the non-white, the black and brown people of our country, they haven't had these problems. No. But what I am talking about are the people on the other side who, um, and I've been hearing this since the 2016 presidential campaign, of victimhood. It's somebody else's fault. It's somebody else's fault that we are the way we are, where we are, how we are, who we are, what we are, where we are etc cetera, etc cetera. and I, it's like oh my god it's just wearing me out i j- i can't listen to that anymore we have to, uh, d- do you see uh, a mentality of f- starting to take some responsibility now we can't control people who have the attitude that oh that person looks suspicious that's on them but uh you know it, well, it, i have a, i have a comment please, on go this. ahead please uh <clears throat>
1: A uh, characteristic of super achievers noted recently was that they always focus, in fact, focus only on things they can do something about, Mm -hmm. which means I am going to handle my world. I'm going to respond to it. I'm going to do the thing that I can see I can do. Well, what that does is it it takes you entirely out of a victim uh, mentality, and it puts you into... proactive. I call it a first cause. You need to think of yourself as a first cause of everything I experience. And then I proceed toward that. Now, I think what a lot of people are doing is saying, hey, look, I've just been shot or I've been (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. hamstrung economically. I've been deprived of health care. In other words, we need to actually face the issues people bring up uh, and then turn around and say, okay, now what do we do about it? And when you get too embedded in nobody's listening to me. Nobody's hearing how bad I have had it. My yeah. house is burning for crime and sakes. So uh, w- w- would you help me with this? So we have to distinguish where we are in this in this process of problem. So we have to face the problem. But then we have to switch into this uh, first cause doer kind yeah. of mentality.
0: You know, that's that's a very good point. And at the same time, you know, you talk about we are going to solve problems we think and know we can do something about. But at the same time, that means that the problems we don't think we can do anything about, they go unsolved. And and that's where I believe I firmly believe this. I don't know about you. And I I want to talk a little maybe about this uh, from your perspective. That's one of the main reasons why I am encouraging people to go within, because that's where the answers are. We're not going to get it from someone else. That's not to say that we can't get inspiration, encouragement and enlightenment from other people in that regard. But eventually, you know how parents will tell their kids uh, when they tell them they know you can't do that, you know, because you'll hurt yourself, this, that and the other thing. And they'll say, well, why? Just so because I want you to learn from my mistakes so you don't make the same ones. And sometimes we have to make those mistakes. But if you go within and you get that guidance. You ask the right questions of that higher self, of that in, of your intuition. Um, it seems to me that uh, you're, you're going to have that opportunity to find some of the answers to some of those problems that we claim on the outside that we can't solve. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember um, uh, hearing in the 60s and 70s about solar energy. And you know, of course, it was being developed, and it's great stuff, and da 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 da. But people would say, "Oh, but it's it's too expensive. We can't we can't go down that road. It's too expensive." To to which I would reply, "Well, wait a minute. So what you're telling me is that you're willing to pay even more down the road, instead of developing it now, paying the higher price now, so that things will come down. And we've seen that over and over and over again with technology." Uh, I remember my father when he was going to computer programming school at the city college uh, he bought one of these uh, Texas instruments uh, cal- calculators that had it was like uh, I think it was a slide rule is what it was and I mean it had more buttons on it than add subtract multiply and divide uh, things that i I would never use Probably you'd use in calculus or something. He paid five hundred dollars for that calculator <laughs> And now you can buy for less than $500 a cell phone that's going to have the same capacity and then some. What is it they say? You've got more power in your cell phone than they had in the computers to launch us uh, to the moon. That's right. right. So we, right. Have, we have done this. I mean, Kennedy said we're going to the moon in 10 years. We didn't know how. Really. I mean, we had a vague idea, but we really didn't. And th- So they had to uh, think out of the box. <clears throat> Do you think, and from your perspective, because it seems to me like you received some inspiration somewhere for not only this book, but, but promoting this ideal, that's what I want to call it, an ideal, even sure. a philosophy for that matter, um, of starting a movement uh, to affect change and real change, or let's not use the word change, because if you change it one way, you could probably be changed back, to transform, to transform. Can you talk to yeah. us a little bit about that inspiration? Where did that come from? Uh,
1: that's a lot of personal history on that. uh, Years ago, I was a Catholic priest and ran across some organizing ideas that really made an impact on people. And I thought, my goodness, I need to get out and apply these, you know, when the, uh, this was back in the 60s when this country seemed to be coming apart. Mm -hmm. So I've been uh, exploring and trying to apply these ideas and different involvements and activities uh, for 50 years. And um, the latest expression of it, which I wanted to get in here, is Mm -hmm. the second book I wrote after the one we talked about before is called Civilizing America. And I put it on YouTube. uh, If you key in Civilizing America 1, that brings you to the first chapter. And then uh, add a different number uh, for all the remaining uh, 15 chapters. But the idea is that there is a sequence of development that uh, uh, people start in hesitance, am I even going to talk to somebody? And then from there, well, we get a little group together. And if we get a group together, what ideas are we going to promote? And as we promote them, do we reach out to other people? In other words, the, uh, the, the, the fundamental theme is that a value becomes important to us and we frame it and we express it to other people. And if you look at the history of the world, how religions have expanded around the world—that's what they did. They believed in something. They got together with mm-hmm. a couple other people, and they started <clears throat> spreading their uh, their point. So, basically, there are there are things about human nature, which if we simply use them, we use what is provided to us, people g- gather ideas from each other, and they gather common purpose, and they work together, and they cooperate. Uh, it's, it's like having this great uh, uh, Lamborghini car that cost me uh, you know, thousands of dollars. You have to use the features of the car if you want to get the speed from the car that it's capable of. And that's what we have. For, for example, just the very idea of mediocre thinking. Mm. If we don't think in a high quality, carefully, thoughtfully balancing things, uh, you're not going to get the results you want. And you mentioned the idea of going within. Well, it is in that quiet mind. If your mind is not quiet, you really can't savor the interplay between two ideas, my rights, your rights. Where do these things intersect? We have to actually uh, quiet our mind to consider them and weigh them and then start to make sense out of how they are applied.
0: Yeah. So uh, there's a long story. uh, No, I I I appreciate that. I appreciate that, and I guess that's part of uh, part of the uh, the issue we maybe we want to touch upon a little bit, and that is this aspect of uh, of <laughs> I want to use a different term, you know, thinking more clearly um, and uh, um, uh, more rationally, more logically. Uh, you know, I don't know if my logical thought is, you know, on the beam or not. But I'd like to think so, uh, because I I think about not just me, but I think about other people too. Sure. I mean, this this program is designed not just for me. It's not to change the world for me. <laughs> I, I would like to change the world so that everybody, all eight billion people, have a greater opportunity uh, for for thriving in life. Yeah. I mean, my gosh, I don't know about you. Um, Uh, But setting uh, maybe setting aside, uh, I think it was Pope Francis uh, uh, who made the comment about how, um, uh, you know, we need to we need to be the church needs to be in poverty uh, to help those who are in poverty now in the sense that we don't need all of the the trappings. what was it? He also wasn't he the one who refused the red robe and the shoes and what have you before he went out to greet the people the first time as pope? He says, I don't want that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want that stuff. Get it out. Get out of here. Uh, I want to live. We should be living simple lives, not opulent lives, you know. Um, and to me, that's that's a whole different kind of, I think, logical thinking. You know, yeah. how can you help somebody up if you've got all those rings on your finger and, you know, right. and. Uh, it's no, okay. there's a uh,
1: a quality in, in reading about great leaders of the past as well as the the saints, the central quality that made all the difference over and over was humility. Now, what that does to your mind is that it makes you just step back a bit from, from this thing that you want to assert and says, well, maybe I don't know the whole story here. So basically, the humble person does not feel um, impelled to push their own idea, because it's theirs. In other words, vanity—the opposite uh, uh, problem—is mm-hmm. the underlying um, uh, problem that impels greed and lust and attachment and uh, and so on, all the things that uh, that interfere with society. If your beginning stance is to say, "Well," Wait a second. Maybe I don't know the whole story here, and how this person is responding. Or wait a second. Maybe there's a different idea. You know, your your point about weighing being able to step back and weigh calmly what somebody is telling you, uh, as you were saying, you try to do. Uh, this is really
0: central to uh, to a healthy society. Hmm. You have other books that are available. You mentioned the the other book that you've wrote written since uh, uh, the, the the book about the movement. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that the second book you said yeah the, the latest work that you've got oh yeah
1: uh, <clears throat> well it, it starts with um people grasping that they are going to wake up and do something so how do i focus on myself as a cause so there's really a way of thinking about oneself as helpless or being able to bring about a change outside me so there's uh, a personal quality to that well People gather strength as they join a group. And this is really the fundamental way people change. You join a group, you adopt its ideas, and you take up its actions. And the actions bring reality to the ideas. So if you're, if you're subscribed to a group, for example, that has all these ideas and you know, a website, you can, can open all these different files, but you're not acting on them they basically are distant from you as a cause you're 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 simply a spectator on a world that is going on outside you and the fact that you're seeing these ideas makes you think you're uh, you're, you're uh, really smart mm-hmm. but you're having no effect well once you get into a group then the group decides how are we going to apply these things so the critical thing is Transmitting mediocre, th- uh, high-quality thinking in, in instances where mediocre thinking prevails. So, yeah, the, there we go. We, we're involved in uh, uh, political campaigns, in in, in uh, uh, local change, in local efforts, uh, initiatives, uh, even getting neighborhoods uh, working together. So there's a, uh, a bonding that happens, and people have found that that when groups Decide you're going to act together. You, it, it the action actually defines how they think, because it pairs off the non essentials, and suddenly the reality of your action brings reality to your ideas. So mm-hmm. that uh, link is is absolutely critical.
0: And the title of that book. So is? then,
1: uh, you, say what? I'm sorry. The title of that book is "Civilizing America: A <sighs> User's Guide." from the ground up, Excellent. it's available, it's available on uh, Kindle, uh, and uh, I'm working presently on making it available in print as well, but it's also available on YouTube, as I explained. Excellent. Civilizing America, one, and then changing the numbers. All right, go ahead and continue. Um, so as you go further, uh, and you have the group, and the group is focused on getting out ideas, a critical thing then is the quality of your communication. Now, think about this. There's half a million counselors and psychologists working every day to help people change their thinking. And yet people say, well, you can't change others' thinking. A professional will say, wait a second, I do that every day. And so there are some things to learn, and they really aren't that complicated, about how to listen carefully to people. Like just my parents saying, well, draw him out. Draw out what he's, what he's interested in. And so it has some chapters about that kind of communication. One especially, reaching difficult people. And how do you talk to somebody who's embedded in an idea that's hostile to yours? Well, there are ways to do that. You first get into, in a harmony with them, you find something that uh, you can respect. You listen to them. You make them feel safe. You find out what matters to them. And then you speak in terms of, What matters to them. So there's actually considerable details about that. People uh, change their ideas. They actually change and develop their ideas when they are listened to very carefully. So we want to do that. And then when they've talked for 15, 20, 30 minutes, we say, well, could I respond to that? Mm. And they say, sure, go ahead. They've, They've kind of exhausted everything they had to say. So then... What do you have to say? And this is part of the group effort. You have to have something to deliver. Now, there was a car salesman. Went out on his lot one morning, here's a guy looking at a car. The car salesman talked for eight hours without a break until the man bought the car. In other words, you have a narrative in your head about the world you want And if you don't have that narrative, you can't express it, no matter how many books you've read and how many articles and and pundits you've listened to. If you can't put it into your own words, you're just a bystander on the action. So you have to get ready to do that. And that is a part of the small group interaction, the small group learning together that this action group needs to do. Now, there are a couple of things that I really think are important right now, which is how to help your community begin to talk together. Mm. Um, One of the methods that I found very uh, impacted people was what I call study and share. Bring people together. Everybody brings a book, pair of people, and read for 10 minutes in your book and then trade what you've read with your partner. Gets people thinking in terms of communicating ideas gives them confidence that they can talk about ideas Mm -hmm. Another one an idea of america workshop have a, a section of your community gather and say And and give them a copy of the preambles to the constitution and the declaration of independence and say we want to figure out how to apply these In our community. So we have pairs triads small groups And they basically discuss this. Now, I've I've discovered also there are some critical small things to do that really, really improve small group communication where people feel, yeah, I just enjoyed that so much. You listen to people. You don't interrupt. You leave a small space after they speak. You ask questions and you include everyone. Just follow those five things and People feel welcomed and included, and their ideas valued. Okay, so you do that with the contents of the preamble to the Constitution, and then people go home thinking about that, and they think about talking to other people about it, and then they start looking at their local policies and say, does this really contribute promote the uh, uh, the, the well being? I thought of a way and and explained this a community unity workshop where you have a polarized community whether two religious groups or blacks and police or whatever it is you bring people together in equal numbers so no side feels uh, sandbag. Pair people up and then say now with your partner, find values, write them down, find the values you agree on. So there are a whole range of things like all family issues and child-raising issues and, and uh, things that uh, you, you applaud out in society. So you make up your list, and then you join another pair. Say, so well, let's look at your list. Let's look at our list and see how many more things we can all agree on <coughs> together that we, that, that we value. So the magic of that is that you're focusing on things you agree on. You want to affirm in each other. Add your groups of four into groups of eight. And you discover that, my gosh, here are these eight people. We all agree on this whole range of values. Why are we arguing about this other thing over here? In other words, you want to give proportion to the fact that people have a, a full range of, of uh, high quality values. And we see those in each other. We affirm them. We bring them out into the open, and they then become the content of our relationship. Mm. So that's a general nutshell uh, covering the contents of that second book.
0: You know, I was just uh, you know, I wanted to ask you, first of all, are you aware of any civilizations that have existed down through human history who were diametrically opposed? Maybe there was one group that was uh, xenophobic. In other words, they don't want to have anything to do with any of the other humans on the planet. And they sequester themselves in a valley somewhere, a canyon somewhere or what have you. And they just they leave everyone else alone and everyone else leaves them alone. And to me, if that's what you want, hey, uh, more power to you. We won't bother you as long as you you don't bother us. And you can go and live live how you want to right there in that canyon, that hole, whatever, wherever it is that, you know, you have sort of cordoned off. Are you familiar okay. of any civilizations uh, paired side by side who have kind of made that agreement that we're never going to agree on anything, so here's what we're going to do? And they may not put <laughs> well, up a physical yeah. wall, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, there's a, a
1: a fundamental characteristic of human nature, in fact, of all living things. That's called, I call it otherism. I, I picked up the tra- phrase some, from somebody, I don't know. Otherism is the basic bias, which is we feel safer with people like ourselves, or uh, bugs, birds, uh, animals, or whatever. We survive in colonies. We, we are tribal. We're, we're meant to be tribal, and so it is very customary, I think, for people to say, "Okay, you have your valley; we have our valley, and and nobody, you know, crosses into the other person's uh, turf." I think this is quite common, but. That kind of thinking does not work when you have a world you're trying to lace together, you know, the the, the global connections between people and all the ways we can benefit each other. We we need to think differently past that otherism. And the otherism, of course, is at the basis of racism. You look at a person's skin color and, uh, oh, that one fact then tells me all I need to know in order to design how I place that person in my society, which is not I call it mediocre thinking. So we again, it's it's going back to the preambles to the uh, to the founding documents to mm-hmm. so we need to think in a much broader fashion yeah. about human ideals, about what humans are uh, consistent yeah. of, and act on those.
0: Well, I have here in front of me uh, just because we've gone down this road. In Congress, uh, July 4th, 1776, the uh, unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. Now, that's not how the preamble to the Constitution starts. It starts when in the course of human events, it has become necessary for one people to dissolve, blah, blah, blah. Next paragraph is what I wanted to focus on. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are, I would love to have a list of these inalienable rights, not just these three of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, derived uh, deriving their uh, just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever... Any form of government becomes destructive of these ends. It is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new governments. I'm curious. Right. I may have asked you in the last uh, uh, interview that we did two years ago. Do you think that the document that we currently hold as uh, uh, the um, uh, uh, the arbiter, if you will, of our existence and uh, the way that we function is outdated? Because the reason I ask that is because the founders... Everybody loves to talk about, well, you know, the founders would be rolling over in their graves if we did this, that or the other thing. And yet the founders put into the Constitution a provision that allows for this document to be alive and to grow and to change. We've done that, what, 25, 26, 27 times? Mm -hmm. So how is it that if we keep it the same that's a good thing because, you know, uh, in in uh, Chinese culture, as far as I understand, for women, they will bind a child, uh, a female child's feet to keep them from growing so that they stay small. I don't know that they do that anymore, but that was one of the traditions, right? So the right. feet can't grow and, and so forth. Well, w- why wouldn't the same thing, uh, the same principle apply uh, to us as a people and our country and our government specifically? If we don't make some significant changes along the way, well, so
1: much uh, you know was was given to us in seed form, and you you have to look at you know how the seed is growing. Uh, have we basically uprooted the garden, or, or can we uh, can we go back to these things? You know, the uh, uh, United Nations in its foundation, uh, I can't remember the exact title of the founding document. But they enumerated uh, a, a range of human rights that they felt uh, would apply across the world. Um, Stuart Chase, in his uh, great book called the, the Study of Humankind, what is the study of man, um, explores commonalities among society around the world in that uh, uh, could. Help orient us to what what works, what doesn't work, and uh, again, we, we need really quality thinking. Uh, you know, we need to encourage thinking instead of thinking that is simply competitive and power based. If, if If my goal is simply to maintain power, exert power over you, to gain for myself, uh, it's impossible for me to think well because I cannot balance uh, values against each other.
0: Hmm. Um, so you would uh, necessar- not necessarily agree that uh, we've, we've become such a large population that this document uh, still still can afford us uh, some guidance. Uh, but we have to raise our consciousness, our thinking. We have to raise our thinking to a logical thinking process rather than as you, you what was the term you used um, uh, to describe uh, the abnormal, if you will, or the insufficient, what was that? What was the mediocre. word? Mediocre. Mediocre.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Mediocre thinking. Right. Yeah. Uh, in my uh, uh, first book there, the uh, uh, We Need a Movement, the longest part, I think, is 70 pages long as I, I enumerate some common ways that mediocre thinking uh, infects society. And so it, it, it really asked people, look, Check yourself. Check how you're thinking, and then just ask yourself: Is this the best I can do? Is this the best idea that can come out of my mind? And if it isn't, stop and think a little, a
0: little further. Hmm. Yeah, this to me is 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 intriguing because you know uh, there are those who do feel that there are certain aspects of our current system are just abysmal they're they're abhorrent if you will right uh not just governmental not just political economic educational religious right. um, and and i keep asking the question as far as the economy is concerned uh who says this is the only way and i would ask the same question whether it be of education religion uh, politics government it's i was talking with someone the other day about uh i said uh, from my understanding government is not a business Government is a government and it's supposed to govern and it's supposed to look after its people. It's not a business. It's, you don't have a CEO at the top and a board of directors. Uh, you know, th- this is something. To, and they said, no, no, no. A government is a business. What's, <laughs> what's your thought on that? Because the one aspect of our economy being free enterprise and capitalism that doesn't seem to be factored in. And they don't want to factor it in because it would taint it. And that's greed. And greed is the right. biggest problem that we have in our economic system today.
1: Right, right. Yeah, uh, and this is uh, uh, apart from the founding of America. We uh, found this great new country to exploit. And <laughs> so people thought about exploiting it, gaining wealth uh, from it. And and uh, this has been a matter of pride for uh for Americans, rather than the idea of balance, mm-hmm. where when you have a country that's already been occupied for a, a thousands of years, uh, the issue, uh, rather than getting more for myself, the issue is balance. How do I even fit into this picture that already exists that I am walking walking into? So, yeah. a, a different mode of uh, uh, of thinking is needed. In my uh, in both of my books, I explore this idea of how the human mind is so limited. How we fail to recognize how limited we are and when you stop to think about it, we focus on one thing at a time so there's a narrow like this little tunnel that we we're, 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 we're uh, addressing mm-hmm. and in the scope of our how much we can know the quantity that, that we can know, 36 million books in the Library of Congress and how many do I know? Well, if I know even one book. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky. So abysmally in terms of quantity of knowledge, and then we assume that whatever we are perceiving, and it's like the mind is programmed to think whatever I am perceiving, I'm perceiving it correctly. I perceive what is there. So there's this bent uh, perceptual uh, uh, quality that uh, that, that uh, turns us uh, aside, mm. and then finally, what. I feel, I believe, is true. In other words, we trust our emotions yeah. to tell us what the facts are, which is stupid. I mean, it, you know, John Wayne said, uh, uh, life is hard. It's harder if you're stupid. Well, <laughs> just not looking at what is right in front of you. And, and people fail to appreciate simply how uh, limited their own mind is. So we have reasons for humility, believe
0: me. I wonder where George Bush Sr. got that line back in uh, the first part of the 20th cent, oh, yeah. 21st century where he, he said, it's hard. It's it's really hard. He got it from John Wayne. But uh, and, and at least in spite of his uh, shortcomings or his perceived, I'm going to say perceived shortcomings, <laughs> at least he was a congenial, congenial guy. You could yeah. talk with this guy. You might not right. ever right. agree with him, and I didn't on a lot of things. Same thing with Reagan. You might not agree with him on a lot of things, but he seemed like a congenial guy. You could you could sit down over a beer. I know that's always been a, uh, a benchmark for a lot of people. To, uh, when they ask uh, people who have associated with a, with a given president. So what was he like? So, oh, man, you know, we might have disagreed, uh, uh, you know, on the uh, on the floor of the House or the Senate or or in debates, uh, you know, behind closed doors. But, you know, afterwards, we'd go to the bar and have a drink together. And it was just fine today. You know, yeah, you you know, wrong. do do not bring a knife to a gunfight, okay? <laughs> right. Do not bring a gun to a knife fight. We're talking today with uh, Dr. John Jensen. He's the author of a couple of books that we've been talking about here. We need a movement: four problems to solve to restore rational government. And then, of course, a second one here, the most the latest one is Civilization America. A Civilizing America, a user's guide from the ground up. It's available on Kindle. I'm curious as to whether or not any of these are going to be going into the audible section. Oh, uh, I hadn't hadn't
1: considered that.
0: Well, I'll tell uh, you what. Maybe you and I should talk because that's some of uh, the kind of work that I do, that I produce, audio books and so forth. Uh, Hmm. Of course, what's interesting is uh, I have been listening to uh, 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 books audibly, before they were ever audible, uh, <laughs> uh, because when I was a kid, grown up, being legally blind, I was listening to talking books for the blind and recordings for the blind. One really? was for leisure reading, and the other one was textbooks for school. Huh. And uh, it was it was uh, something that it's it's where I first found out about and read for the first time uh, my metaphysical primer, autobiography of a yogi. Really? Uh, yeah. And I have it on... That was a
1: turning around book for me. That was a transformative book for me.
0: And I tell you what, I have read it so many... I have it on my phone. And I love the fact. I love this fact. Uh, I hope it's true. uh, That that the founder of Apple, Steve Jobs, the only book he had on his phone was Autobiography of a Yogi. Now, I don't know if it was Audible (laughs) or it was Kindle. All I know is that's what they say, that that was the only thing that was on his phone. Um, But getting back to our conversation here in terms of um, uh, America and uh, uh, these different institutions that we live by, under, through, what have you, what is your observation as an American as well as a white male, uh, what is your reading right now on the soul of America? The soul
1: of America... Um, well, there, I believe nations tend to have a, um, call it a soul, if you will, a mm-hmm. core um, attitude toward life, a core realization, a core reality. And I'm actually encouraged right now by what's happening in the streets. I think that... Um, a uh, some negative thinking has been allowed to uh, encroach <clears throat> on good thinking in this country for a number of years, and that uh, people that want a values-based society are gathering. They're coming to agreement on we need to change this, we need to do this. And so uh, I, I often think about this phrase called the first cause. I, or we together are going to make things happen and that critical essential piece of the american soul i believe is is going to uh, have its have its sway in the in the coming uh, near future
0: hmm. you know when the pandemic started and of course we already had black lives matter and the me too movement and so forth um i'm not going to say that i was thrilled that it was a, there was a pandemic But I was when I first observed it and we the thing that we did was different than what we've ever done before with the influenza or any of the others Ebola, SARS, Mars, cars, whatever other acronyms. We did something different. And of course, Einstein has said that if you continue to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a a different result, you're insane. Mm -hmm. Um, So we did something different, whether people liked it or not. It was different, which means we are going to get a different result. Oh, my God, how wonderful. And my first thought was, seriously, John, what incredible opportunities are before us that we don't even see yet. We don't even see them, and they're so incredible. Uh, I I was so excited. I still am. I'm so excited about the prospects for the near and far future Hmm. because we're going to be doing things differently for a change thank you so much I again I don't want people to die as our conversation uh, drags on here on the program I mean we've had over in this country a hundred and seventy seventeen thousand deaths due to this virus whether they were due to the virus itself or due to underlying medical conditions um, but that also goes to show us too, John about our health uh, our physical health as a nation We are abysmally weak and depleted and anemic because we lost 117,000 people so far, and it isn't over yet. And most of those, again, underlying conditions that if people were taking care of themselves over the years of their lives, they might not have died. And I'm not saying all of them, and I'm not casting aspersions or using a broad brush stroke. But if you think about it, You put too much weight on that frame of yours and you're going to stress the heart. And then all of a sudden you get this virus that attacks the respiratory system and you put even more pressure on that heart. And who knows? They'll say, oh, he died of a heart attack, but he also had uh, he also tested positive. Well, but what if he hadn't had all that weight on his system (laughs) and he was around his normal weight, Uh, you know, and so on and so forth? And he contracted the virus and he had a strong immune system. I now have family members who have the virus. Really? I, have a, I have a sister. I have a f- brother-in-law. And their two Whoa. adult children. They're two adult girls. My nieces have p- tested positive and been going through it. They say the worst thing of it is the, is the fever because it keeps coming and going and coming and going. Oh, gosh. It's, it's kind of like uh, summer mm. and winter over and over again uh, in a short space of time. But they are doing fine. They're doing well. Um, I don't know about the underlying conditions uh, that could be exacerbated, but... That's another aspect of our country that, uh, you know, preserving uh, uh, our posterity, preserving uh, the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, we're doing a horrible job of that because we're not taking care of ourselves. Then we have kids and we don't take care of them properly. And it's like, my gosh, have you, you know, what are we doing? John, help me, help me. <laughs> give me an answer you're the the oracle today
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have rarely in my life been called an oracle (laughs) 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 all of those things you mentioned we have to go back to better thinking and that means people uh, releasing the grip on the fact that they themselves were uh, the the ones that thought of this idea They, they have to accept it that they may, there may be some changes in the very best idea uh, yeah. before it
0: uh, leaves. Well, I, the thing that, that always uh, gives me hope, and I don't, I don't consider these documents we've been talking about as sacred or they didn't come from God. Um, but these guys who wrote down this stuff were certainly inspired uh, from on high somewhere, from their own intuition, from their higher self, the divine, what have you. That I will give you. But uh, as you just stated at the beginning of the early in the program about uh, the last time we had rational government, um, they conceived a great idea. But unfortunately, their egos almost immediately started getting in the way. And that's been the biggest problem ever since. And boy, if we spent more time in meditation and prayer, if that's what it takes, uh, who knows? Maybe we could we could overcome that part of who and what we are. And to that end, I want to ask you. In terms of your uh, period of time in the priesthood, what was it that uh, that that uh, called you? I mean, was it a calling? And uh, I would assume you're no longer a practicing priest.
1: Right. Well, I had a very uh, powerful, I would say, uh, personal experience where uh, I kind of experienced a light, and a uh, I don't know 180 degree turn just happened inside me uh, After a period of which I tried decided to really apply my religion as completely as I could And from that point on even though i faced many difficulties uh, I, I knew that that was where I was headed. i and so I uh, became a priest in the Monterey Fresno diocese a similarly clear kind of guidance occurred however to lead me out of the priesthood and um mm. uh, uh in, i think in in every case that i was simply trying to follow the guidance that i was getting uh, within i absolutely value highly the ex- experience i had at every stage along the way mm. uh, well I, I know that i published it's a-, a book years ago many uh, experiences with invisible realities that oh. uh uh detailed all that uh, that journey that's uh, out there as a, in a used book, bin somewhere. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll tell you, uh, as a kid growing up, a born and raised Catholic in the Western Rite, um, certainly that went through my mind. I think that I was an altar boy for 10 minutes or something like that. <laughs> it was a very short stint as an altar boy. Um, I was then introduced to the uh, uh, Byzantine Rite, of the Catholic church that everybody seems to think is Orthodox. And I keep telling them it is not, or it might appear to be Orthodox, <laughs> but it's still right. under the Pope. Uh, and it was great experience. I mean, it was f- fantastic to, to participate in. Uh, I love ritual and I love ceremony and tradition. Uh, you know, they serve a purpose. They really do. And as long as they serve a purpose, continue in them. Um, but don't keep doing them if they don't. I mean, seriously, uh, and, and that's one of the aspects of the church that I have always enjoyed was that aspect of the uh, uh, of the traditions uh, that I mean, down through the holidays, especially. And, and it wasn't always uh, uh, it wasn't always uh, Christmas and, uh, and, and Easter. I mean, even some of the other holidays, maybe it was Pentecost uh, or the I think uh, Epiphany and, and different things of this nature. Always just like I said, I've, I've always enjoyed that. But at the same time, when I uh, was introduced to Autobiography of a Yogi, <clears throat> it really, it opened my eyes not so much to Hinduism per se, but to other philosophies. And I started searching and uh, I've been inter- I was a, I was a Baha'i for a while and I found that to be fascinating. And uh, I've been curious about the Muslim faith of, uh, you know, about uh, Islam and, and about uh, Judaism and And some of the other lesser known uh, uh, philosophies that are out there because these are what shape people's lives. But I will ask you this. One of our guests said to me about belief that if you have a belief, it's a lie. The reason, he says, is because, well, let me I'm not even going to say why. I'm going to ask you to respond to that. If you have a
1: belief, it is a lie. Well, the thing, the the, the, uh, the differential point there, the differentiating point, is whether you're in touch with a reality or you have framed a reality in words. And I think that's probably uh, the emphasis that he's uh, uh, fixing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a, a statement from the Easterns. <laughs> when you find your Buddha, kill him. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is... Uh, so the 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 point is that you have established this ideal in your in your mind, and it's simply a um, a configuration of your uh, your thinking. And if you think you have actually uh, found him or claimed him, uh, you've claimed an idea, and so you need a different idea to take you uh, your 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 next step. So I I really understand. I think the uh, you know the point that that person uh, was was making. We have to go beyond uh, the, the configuration of words that we're using to grasp, us to sense ourselves in relation, in immediate impact to a reality. And uh, in, in my own case, you know, these internal things that I experienced were uh, were very uh, uh, convincing to me. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a uh, point directing directed me in a different direction. It had nothing to do with it had to do with a, uh, a, a an effect, how mm. it was working on me.
0: Mm. Do you miss it? Being in the priesthood? I'm sorry? Do you miss it, being in the priesthood? Uh, there
1: were aspects of it that I felt I was really good at and uh, I enjoyed, but uh, I, I believe that... Uh, uh, I, no, I wouldn't say that I miss it. I, I think that uh, my life has gone on in the direction it was supposed to go. and I'm a type of person that I find uh, value in uh, whatever I'm experiencing and uh, and gain guidance from that.
0: Hmm. Well, I have to say that that um, <clears throat> after being reminded uh, uh, this year of my uh, ordination as a uh, a reverend, from the <laughs> from the Universal Life Church on the internet, uh-huh. that uh, I am a reverend as well, uh, and and I love the I love the title. I was given the moniker of Doctor D, and I use that as the audio physician. Um, actually, <laughs> I'm having a difficult time. I think I'm going to lose the patient I'm working on now because I'm trying to uh, 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 recover some archives off of a reel to reel. And I cannot find a machine that will line up properly to to transfer it in a clean way, and even the gentleman who gave me the reel said, "Hey, I have the machine that it was originally recorded on. That machine doesn't work." <laughs> so I, I feel like, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm pumping the the chest of this patient uh, to no avail. But you know, you can't uh, you can't save them all, and I think that's one of the, the lessons that we all need to learn is that sometimes it's it's okay to let it go. Um, but I am, I am thrilled that we have connected again. Uh, very excited about uh, uh, the future. And I'm curious about, uh, it sounds to me like you are still optimistic about our future as a people, but also as a country. Absolutely, yes. I, I think that uh, <clears throat> goodwill and
1: a positive direction are coming together. Part of the, the, the problem of doing that is facing where you are. And I think people are in that phase now of facing this is what we have got to do. Yeah. And behind that uh, perception is building up this will to work together to make it happen. Yeah.
0: The other aspect, I think, too, is uh, setting aside your perspective in one sense, uh, thinking that <clears throat> you have or you don't have this or that or the other thing. Because uh, in the grand scheme of things, and I'm sure you, you you would probably agree with this. I won't want to put words in your mouth here, is that in the grand scheme of things, none of this matters. <laughs> We're just around for less than a puff of smoke as, as far right. as our concept of time is concerned. And in 10,000 years, who knows what's going to happen? I right. mean, for all we know... There is an asteroid headed for us, or the core of the planet is overheating, or any number of other things that could happen, and we're gone. You want to maintain perspective uh, in terms of the big picture. So I think that the greatest words that I've heard of late, over the last few months, I will repeat, and I'll do my best to repeat it as often as I can. Be kind. Ah. Be kind, huh. Doctor John Jensen. I want to thank you so much for giving us so much time here on the program and returning to tell me your story, uh, to continue your story, and sharing it with our listeners. Uh, it's well,
1: thank you so much, Richard. It's been a great
0: pleasure. It has indeed, and I I do have uh, three questions that I want to put to you. I may have asked you last time, but I'm. It's been two years. So uh, who knows? The answers have changed. But before I ask those three questions, let me remind our listeners of the broadcast times, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. on Sunday, Monday morning at 1 a.m., the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Player FM, and uh, many other locations. And uh, if you'd like to support us, we do have PayPal and Patreon accounts, links on our homepage and our missions page. You can read a little bit more about what we're all about, but it's more important that you find out more about Dr. John Jensen, and you can do that through his books that are available in Kindle and on Amazon and so forth. And uh, those books are Civilizing America, A User's Guide from the Ground Up. We encourage you to get a copy of that, as well as one of my favorites, because I love the the whole premise of it. We need a movement for problems to solve to restore rational government. And again, Dr. John Jensen's been my guest. And I'm hoping one of these days that we might, uh, once they allow us to start traveling a little bit more and moving about freely, um, maybe we can uh, meet somewhere along the way. If you're here in Santa Barbara, we'd love to have you in studio to talk more about this as well.
1: Thank you, thank you so much, Richard.
0: The first of the three questions is: Who is John Jensen? Ah, um, so I am a
1: spiritual being uh, inhabiting a body and uh, uh, learning from the experiences uh, supplied through this uh,
0: embodiment in this place and time. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve? through the work that you're doing now?
1: To achieve. I would like to see a better world. I would like to see a world where people cooperate on the basis of their values and aspire to the highest that is available to them.
0: Very, uh, very simple goal. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Uh,
1: My own life purpose would be to Um, achieve identity as soul,
0: to be a co-worker with God. Mm -hmm. To be a co-worker with? With God. Well, John Jensen, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program and for sharing with us about the two works that you have now and let's not uh, make it two years this time let's uh, let's maybe get together later this year to talk further because obviously we are in a in a state of transformation uh, nationally as well as globally we're not here alone and we do need to work together and i i do see that happening and it's very exciting to see those instances whether it be on facebook or youtube or on the nightly news for that matter where they show these feel good stories of people helping people. And again, that restores or bolsters my hope for the future. And I thank you for what you're doing uh, in the same vein. Appreciate that, Richard. I'm Richard Take Dugan, care. and I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, love Talal.